Hello and welcome to the Pondering Theologian podcast. I am the host, Nathaniel. In this episode, we have another wonderful guest on the podcast, uh, Danny Postma, who is a seminary in seminary student. It's going to be one of those days. It's going to be one of those episodes where I just stumble through everything. Um, Danny is a wonderful human being who I've had the privilege, privilege, damn it, there it is again, privilege of meeting in seminary and getting to know some of her work and her passion, and she has agreed to come on to the episode today. So welcome, Danny. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Um, so can you tell us a little bit more about yourself other than what I kind of butchered there as you're, you know, alive and a seminarian? Yeah, I mean, those are important pieces of who I am, being alive and a current seminarian. I'm entering my fourth year as a Master of Divinity student at the University of Dubuque Theological Seminary. And I'm also overlapping that with my first year of a Doctor of Ministry program at Western Theological Seminary. And I am... Crazy bold move. Yeah, we'll get to that later, right? We'll we'll talk more about that later. Absolutely. Um, I am a wife and mom of four kids and currently living in the Midwest. Cool, cool beans. Again, thank you for coming on to the podcast. Um, Can you, if you're willing, share a little bit about your faith journey? How did you come to faith? Why the church? I'm going to throw more questions at you because I can. You know, you are a member of the RCA Church. Um, can you explain a little bit of the your your journey leading up to to that? Sure. It's pretty um, uneventful, actually. I was born into a Christian family, um, a legacy of faith, actually, from my ancestors who were originally in the Netherlands um, and pretty much that Dutch reformed tradition uh, was passed down through generations and that is where I found myself born into in Iowa in the Christian reformed church where I was baptized and raised in the same church really pretty steady um, I don't feel like I have one of those big conversion stories or anything like that because of it, um, which is great and wonderful and hopefully a good message for some of those listening. Don't need to have a big conversion story to be uh, a person of faith. Um, And was baptized as an infant spent my life in the same church until my 30s, my early 30s, and yeah, that was a Christian Reformed church, which is a small denomination, mostly in the United States and um, Canada, and yeah, my, my education was all in private Christian institutions, 
and all of that. So pretty um, sheltered Christian upbringing. So that's, like I said, not, not very eventful. I thank you for sharing. I, I don't, I, I released a reel about this the other day, but I don't think that sometimes having a major eventful like Saul going blind on the road kind of conversion or or life in in into the ministry is, is needed and i think that that's great that you can identify your journey because sometimes it's not always easily identified um kind of continuing along the the road i suppose we're gonna skip a little bit back to the you're doing multiple school things um you kind of have a, a varied educational background um you first started going to school for agro 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 wow agronomy i had to google that word and i still can't say it correctly agronomy which is the science of soil management and crop production before anyone goes and looks that up then you switch to ecological sciences and then you completed your AA and BA in community development and some politics. That, that feels very broad. What was the, if you don't mind sharing, what is the, what is the story with all of that? Mm, I would say it corresponds with a faith journey of, though I have always loved God and loved Jesus and been involved in faith that I was absolutely in a peak rebellious phase uh, during my early years of education, of higher education. Um, and I went into agronomy for practical purposes. I was, I got engaged right out of high school and was marrying a farmer. So practical do a job that I could do <laughs> that was connected to that and would be helpful and just rooted in the rural community that I was in. Um, so that was purely practical. Became evident pretty early into that program that not only was the school I was at not a great fit for me, but also I was not feeling like that direction was working for me. It was more about how to maximize profits and how to use things well, and not not completely. Conservation and other things were absolutely discussed and considered, but even very early on in the program, it was pretty clear that, you know, lots of chemical usage and other things were something that I was going to be exposed to regularly and taught how to apply and stuff like that. And it was, yeah, pretty much right away. Nope, this is not a good fit for me and my beliefs. Um, and then even though the, the transfer uh, of schools was purely out of ease and laziness, my older sister, was an alum of the school I transferred to and had connections and basically did all of the paperwork and transferred for me. So <laughs> that's that. But then um, they did have a really great 
more holistically based Christian viewpoint of creation care and the environment. And that's where the um, environmental and ecological science major came in there. Okay. And then I dropped out of school after, I think it was halfway through my sophomore year. So I was three semesters in and dropped out of school because I didn't want to anymore. <laughs> and that was a pretty high point of rebellion against what God was asking of me. Can definitely see that in retrospect. But, you know, so I've just done the education that God asked me the hardest way I could possibly do it at this point, you know, after I had children. So. Gotcha. Get it. I, uh, I have had some of those some of those hard rebellious rebellious moments as well. So I get I get that. Um, it has the I, I know you said some of it was it made sense to go into agronomy because of your life situation at the time, uh, and then you transferred because of the non-sustainable non nurturing, caring kind of aspects of all of the chemicals and whatnot. I'm sure we'll we'll get back to this kind of connecting with the dots too farther in the episode, but um, has this always been kind of a, a concern and passion of yours, the earth and creation and trying to make it more sustainable and natural? Yes, I would say I can see that early in my childhood even just being drawn to nature and wanting to do things to preserve it. I was a 90s kid, so uh, Captain Planet was my absolute favorite Um, Saturday morning cartoon when those still existed. Uh, And Um, just things like that. Listening, they're used to it. (laughs) It was in the land and era of VHS cassette tapes. Mm-hmm. just need to connect the dots for you know. that's great thanks for doing that for mm-hmm. translating for me i'm happy to happy to um so i i promise i will be nice uh captain planet um <laughs> kind of that that focus of all of that has that been something that has grown and changed not 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 to uh Yes, I think the biggest change has been discovering that God first centered me in theology before calling me back into environmental stewardship. Um, That was a bit of a surprise twist. Um, And that's part of the education journey too, I guess, that I should get back to. So the early years of my education, my higher education, were like pure rebellion, right? Just doing all of the things without consulting, like no no discernment process, just whatever I thought was best or practical. Um, And then when I went back to school to complete my bachelor's degree, that was sort of the opposite of I really didn't want to go back to school. I was, I had little kids and it was pretty, uh, like a stable home situation. So I could have just like 
chilled and <laughs> worked part-time maybe or done something like that but um that was a time when I started working for the church that I had attended my whole life as a worship coordinator and it was through that through being immersed in worship and the word and being surrounded by really great godly people that I finally was able to hear and listen to what God was asking of me and in that case it was returning to school and funnily enough it actually started so my bachelor's degree was a community development which was a relatively new degree program at Dort University at the time Um, and I had actually been starting the process intending to be a communication major again thinking that's a practical (laughs) degree program to choose at this point Um, and one day when I was pulling up the program to go over some details pretty far into the process um, was looking at it and was like this is so great and diverse and this is not what I remember looking at last time I had they were right next to each other on the list on the website and I had accidentally clicked into community development instead of communication and that was like a big epiphany moment Um, and I listened to that and went with that major and the like I said it's it was a very um diverse program uh across an interdepartmental allowed me to take theology courses and social work courses and psychology courses and some political science courses and all of my environmental science previous um, classes transferred in as credit for the program because that was a huge part of the program as well. That's pretty neat. And where did the policy and administration like aspects of that, did you have to study how to to understand these like 4,000 page proposals for things? Or was it more just like how to look at the community and, and shape the policy? Mm-hmm. It was just because it was such a holistic program, it a lot of emphasis was placed on like how everything is connected and policies shape how people live and often to have especially in communities and especially I mean in rural communities as well but more often in urban communities it policies and even like city ordinances and other things like that can heavily impact the work you are even able to do Um, and also sort of a there was a lot of a grassroots vibe of change from the ground up means you change in communities and then work to change policies to make more permanent and lasting changes. So it naturally fit with a lot of the other courses I was taking and was something I was interested in. I liked the classes, so. That's really neat. We will return a little bit to that later. Um, 
you and I have become friends because we attend the same seminary. Um, what is the journey that brought you to seminary um, after after Dort? So during my time at Dort, um, I had multiple professors make comments to me about that, that I should really consider graduate level education, which again was nothing that I had on my own radar or was even considering at any point until that. But it kept the, the number of different professors who kept saying those things to me and the timing, it was very, it became very clear through the discernment process that it was something God was directing me to. And so I began uh, looking into programs and applying to different programs, most of them more in the public policy realm, um, a lot of MPA programs, Master of Public Administration programs. Um, and theology was not really on the radar other than like, maybe a faith-based institution to learn policy information from. Uh, and then a friend of mine was, had just started working at the University of Dubuque. We had worked together at the church previously and I went to visit her and she is showing me around the campus, pointed to the neighborhood uh, area where um, seminary students usually live when they're residential and said, that's where uh, the residential students in this um, scholarship program is really cool and tells me about the scholarship program. She's like, anyway, that's where they live. Maybe you should think about that. And I laughed in her face <laughs> really rudely. I was like, nope, <laughs> I'm not going to seminary. Um, and she thankfully still loves me and is my friend today, but probably helps that she was very right and was encouraging something that God was asking of me. And then from that point, it just became uh, unavoidable. I would receive unsolicited communications from the seminary. I would uh, have someone that I hadn't talked to about things, bring it up. It was just everywhere. And so, and then finally, when I reluctantly began to go through the application process, just like, you know, what happens if you apply? No, you're not committed to anything, right? It just felt so good and right. And every conversation I had was just wonderful. And that is how I ended up packing up my family of uh, four kids and my farmer husband off of the family farm and moving across the state of Iowa for seminary, which I am maybe now entering the fourth and final year of the program, starting to understand a little bit of what the heck God is doing through this, but definitely came with no clue of why I was going to seminary. I will often describe to people that I haven't had to embrace the battle fog of my faith with God, which sounds very militaristic, but all that I mean is like 
because I was one of those nerds of historical wars and I was homeschooled so I could just study what I really wanted to um but like the battle fog of world war one and the trenches you couldn't see very far in front of you when there was fog on the field and I used to be very planned out in a lot of things and since um in the last several years I've had to embrace kind of that I don't know what is next so I it sounds very much like it's kind of that same sort of thing only it sounds like maybe your fog is clearing a little bit um well you know it's cleared enough that i'm in the next step of another program another degree program but <laughs> which leads into my <laughs> next question it's almost like you've read the, the direction that i was hoping to go with <laughs> um you have been accepted into a doctoral uh, program uh, that you recently started um, while you're finishing your last year in your master's program, um, which is just bonkers to me, um, but you are an overachiever and pretty good at it, it appears. Um, what is the reason that you pursued that um, and bringing it back that you said it, it's kind of come full circle? Can you explain what is this doctorate program? Why did you go there? Why all of the things? Right. Well, it's equally bonkers to me, so I don't act like I actually know what the heck is going on. But the truth is that it is another example of something that has pursued me. And I'm very grateful that God continues to do these things in my life and that I can give credit where credit is due there because this was not me. <laughs> um, and I sort of have had it in the back of my head that maybe someday, like maybe when my kids are out of school and whatever, maybe I'd go back for a doctoral program. Um, and, but I, I definitely was starting to speak things like, I'm so ready to be done with school for a while and be able to do practical, like actually work in ministry and, and do the things instead of being so in my head all the time um but then sort of I read an article on the reform journal website that talked about the concept that this doctor doctoral program is based on of refugia and we'll talk about that a little bit more later but that was the first time and it, it mentioned that there was going to be a doctoral program happening and I just you know looked at the information about it just to see what that was and what it looked like and really it was completely unattainable because this was uh, I think it was in 2020 early 2020 uh, pre-pandemic that I was reading about this information and I had I was only in my first year of my MDiv at that point and so like sort of like semester at that point right? <laughs> yeah yes so like just filed it away because most of these programs require that you be three years post graduation from your MDiv before you even apply so totally like shoved that off but kept the concept in the back of my mind because very cool and then I took a class uh, for my ordination process last summer 
and the professor of that class happens to be the one of the professors leading the doctoral cohort and I made a discussion board post about something I don't remember exactly what it was but this sort of concept of environmental care and other things came up in that discussion post and the professor commented uh hey this sounds a lot like the doctoral program that uh my wife and I are going to be leading are you interested and I was like I mean yeah I'm interested but I can't apply I'm still finishing my MDiv so let me know if you guys repeat it uh in a few years and long story short it ended up working out and I'm because I've uh, heavy loaded the earlier stages of my MDiv. I only have a few credits left, actually, even though there's a year. I'm just coasting a little bit through this final year. <laughs> I know you're you're not exactly in the same place, um, but <laughs> I mean, accurate. But ouch, yes. <laughs> um, sorry. So it ended up working out, and here I am. Uh, not like I said not something that I set out to do like yay let's do two doctoral or two graduate level programs at the same time yeah Um, but I will say that so far it has been amazing and really life giving and you know for us nerdy people education is best when it just doesn't feel like you're working right it just feels like it's uh you're just having fun and learning about great fun things and that is what this program has been for me so far that was fantastic um we are gonna take a quick little break here and then we will continue the conversation. Sounds great. I'm good. All right. So you, um, I guess, Christian ministry or I, I guess just in general specifically the demon programs uh, which is doctor of ministry doctor because i can't speak again doctor of ministry programs have themes that they generally follow um, and yours you kind of alluded to is this environmental focus um, can you tell us a little bit more about refugia that that's what it's called correct i'm not butchering that Nope. Yep. You're correct. Okay. So the name of my cohort, my doctoral cohort is Church of Refugia, Preparing the Church for Sustainability and Crisis Resilience. So there is absolutely an environmental theme, but it's more than that as well. It's um, more broadly um, just to <laughs> explain the word refugia. It's adopted from uh, science, from biology, and it talks. It's means uh, like 
little pockets of ecosystems that come together during times of crisis to help the ecosystem and the organized organisms within to survive during crisis times. Um, one of my professors, Dr. Deborah Reenstra, has a great book that just came out called Refugia Faith, uh, Seeking Hidden Shelters, Ordinary Wonders, and the Healing of the Earth. And she does a great job of She does a great job. <laughs> Sorry, I'm having a little feedback in my headphones. She does a great job of explaining the concept of refugia um, in the book. And I'm not going to go into it too far, but the best example is uh, of when Mount St. Helens erupted, uh, the volcano erupted, and the terrain was just decimated. It was completely destroyed all the ecosystems and scientists were speculating like it's going to take decades for this to come back it's going to be just a barren wasteland and they were wrong because they had not factored in the existence of refugia the the organisms um, that had previously been there were saved by little pockets that were able to survive the destruction and repopulated the, um, the mountain. And now it's not the same and it's not fully restored, but it is lush and green if you look at pictures of it. So that's the concept. And sort of looking at the, the concept of the program is how can the church be that? And how can people in the church be that for the world? when, I mean, at this point in 2022, the last two years have been a pretty great example of just, can we even list all of the crises that we're facing at this point? No, there's, there's new ones every day. It's, it's like an apocalypse film, so. Yes, absolutely. So that's what my cohort is trying to examine. Uh, how can the church sort of resist going after power in these times uh, and instead prioritize being a place of refuge for people to, um, I mean, basic level survive, but then also be sort of places of resistance to cultural crises and how to teach people and help them grow and learn and become more resilient in their lives so that they can weather the seemingly never ending crises a little bit better and together. That is, that is a fascinating concept and I will uh, list uh, the, that book in the show notes so that anyone who is curious can read that. Um, it's on my read list just because it, it sounds so fascinating. And you really described it in a way that sounds like this should be, or I should say, this would be more beneficial to be more widely talked about in the church. The church is so very splintered amongst all of these things. Um, do you think that there needs to be any kind of 
well, I'll, I'll explain my thought process here so that it's a little less wild sounding. Um, so there's over 30,000 denominations worldwide and there's new ones. Um, there's new ones every year for sure. It seems like there's almost new ones monthly with all of the things to be divided on, especially in the last couple of years. Do you think that reorganizing the concept of the church and recentering on this idea of creating pockets of healing is uh, to get there needs to be like a, a, a not a, a de-splintering I forget what the proper word would be but like a reconciling of the uh, we can pick on just the western church and the western church like a reconciliation to be able to do that I guess I would I'm all for reconciliation and healing I think that that is one of the key teachings that we get from Jesus in the Bible and from his life. I think reconciliation is meant to be part of the Christian life and especially the church. Um, but I would say track record wise, we're not good at it. Um, <laughs> no, no, we're terrible at it, but, um, I, I, I'm sometimes overly optimistic, so I like to ask that kind of almost seems ridiculous type of question. Um, now that I've asked it, though, is there a way, do you think, that even as splintered as we are, we can be all on the same mountain and still have those reconciling pockets? Or do you think it becomes one of those, my pocket of reconciliation is, is bigger, my pocket of renewal of, of safe haven is, is better? I think there will always be the risk of that. And that's just trying to be honest about human nature um, and the allure of power. And I think that it's healthy to, to just recognize that that exists as you enter into anything that you do, sort of to watch out for it helps you to be able to fight against it in general. But yes, I do think that the, in theory, this concept is both, I, I don't see a reason why most churches, regardless of their particular brand of theology, wouldn't be on board with embracing it because it's not really about nitty gritty, like, oh, let's hunker down and define our theology really clearly in small pockets of people who are like-minded. It's sort of going to the basic level of our ultimate theology to love people and to love the planet and like basically just all of creation right love all of creation in ways that benefits all and glorifies god and there are a million different ways that this can be embodied and that is um it's a very, we're a pretty small cohort in the program. There's seven of us, but every one of us is doing something different or coming at this from a different angle of what we 
think we're going to be researching and studying um, and trying, experimenting with. So I think that just that is a great example of this can look so many different ways and it can be tasked down to the very simple, like how can we disciple people in our churches to just live a life like this, that they are themselves refugia spaces for creation and for others. So I think that that's something that hopefully is pretty broadly applicable for the church and maybe can provide some common ground and healing for some of the splinters happening all over. Gotcha. Um, when thinking of the connection between faith and creation and this concept of refugia, uh, what is it about it that you think you are drawn to? Um, I, I know you said that you're, you're not really fully sure where you're, you're going, but you're seeing more clearly how you're getting where you're going. Um, what do you th think is the, the thing that you're going to be doing with this? You, you obviously have a, a passion for, for hearts, passion for ministry, passion for the whole of creation. Is there, like, do you want to be the Pope of, you know, the, the ministry of, <laughs> of, of feeding people's souls and stomachs in one place? Not, not to, not to, I don't know if that's blasphemous in any way to, to, to some faith. Um, but, but is it that something, I'll, I'll step it back. Where, where do you think that you're going with all of this? I asked too many questions. I apologize. Nope, you don't ask too many questions. I, I think it's a great thing to consider. I, having learned from my previous experiences, hold all things loosely about the future or directions that I'm going, because if you had asked me a, like a year ago, I would not have said that I'm going to be in a doctoral program. So holding things loosely, I am starting this by looking at sort of the, a lot of the buzzwords and things that people are talking about with the current church situation are uh, attendance is declining, churches aren't recovering post pandemic, um, people aren't coming to church anymore, things like that, and churches are dying. And I mean, I think it's, especially in smaller communities, if you drive through town or other things, you'll you can see it. There are church buildings that are not churches anymore um, and other things like that. And it's uh, sad and worth grieving and lamenting. But also, I think for me, it brings about the concept of, so what do we, where is the hope in it, right? And uh, I, you know, coming off of like we're in a, such a liturgically rich time here of the church calendar of pretty fresh off of Easter and now Pentecost. And I feel like hope and resurrection and renewal are sort of in the air. And I think that it's a good thing to be reminded of that where there is death or seeming death, 
that is where the church should be looking with the most hope. Um, and like, where can we uh, have whatever God is asking us to do next? Where is that coming up from amidst the death that we're perceiving? And I particularly from my time working for churches and with churches, especially uh, God seems to be calling me to smaller churches at this point. Um, funding structures and models for churches are just not sustainable, in my opinion, with the current economic climate that we're in. And so my research is beginning with how can the church perhaps fund itself in a way other than through tithing um, and fund itself by being connected with the place and the community that it's in and addressing needs that the community that God has planted it within would be beneficial. And then therefore you're healing and loving uh, in tangible ways. And then uh, hopefully tithing can be sort of uh, brought back to what it's meant to be of giving from your heart and not out of guilt or compulsion to keep your church alive or anything like that. And it can be used for other purposes than to maybe always be repairing your building or other things like that. Um, and also sort of reimagining what worship looks like. There are so many arguments within the church about worship. And I definitely don't want to enter into the worship wars with anyone or anything like that. But I feel like something that I miss in the church at large is imagination and sort of a trust in the imagination that God has blessed us with. God is an imaginative God and created us with wonderful imaginations. And I hope to be able to bring some imagination into whatever worship I am blessed to lead and hope that I can always be keeping my eyes out and my heart listening for different expressions of the liturgies that have been handed down to us from the church throughout history. Well, that's pretty fantastic. Um, hopefully when uh, you're a little bit farther into your research, you can come back and share that with us. That would be pretty, I would, I would be very interested to hear more about that. I would love to. Yeah, well, we'll mark it on the calendar. You have a week. <laughs> Um, we're going to shift away from that kind of, uh, background of your education and whatnot and, and go a little bit different direction and, uh, so let's hit with a, you know, kind of a cleanser, like one, two punch question. You know, what is the most important thing you've learned in your life? What was, you know, your life before learning it? And what is your life like now after it? I want you to, you know really think general like what was i'm just kidding just what uh what is something that uh you think 
is is been one of those big learning things that before it on this journey and after it has been just totally different. Mm. Yeah, this is a cleanser. I don't know about that. <laughs> I guess the thing that keeps coming in my head is trust. I would say the early years of my life and even into like, you know, my weird, confusing education journey, I just didn't trust God um, or myself. And I've been getting better at trusting God and have seen that when I sort of relinquish my desire for control over everything, um, it all works out as good as it could possibly. So I would say trust is the big, the big thing I've learned. Um, and the trusting myself thing is still coming, but we'll it's get a hard, there. It's a hard one to do. Um, and in my experience, it's a hard one to do, but that's fantastic. Thank you for rolling with that punch there. Um, what are you most excited about in the future of your ministry involvement? Now that we kind of have a, a picture of where you've been and, and what you are doing and where you think you're going, what do you think is the thing? Like, do you want to publish the definitive book on tithing? Like, is that where, um, you're most excited? Uh, no. <laughs> um, I guess, full disclosure, part of the doctoral program is that the thesis that I write will be condensed and put into a chapter of a book that is going to be published at some point. So I guess I'll have one chapter. Fantastic. I mean, uh, well, I'll, I'll buy that chapter. <laughs> Great. Um, and then I guess what I'm most excited about and most excited for at this point is to see what my place is. Uh, that is the big missing piece of the puzzle of my ministry. What place? Um, I have been sort of displaced for a while now. And um, while it's been good for reorienting, and growing and learning, I am oh, like, I really see that my journey is going to be about place. And I'm, I'm excited to see which place God is going to drop me. <laughs> so, um, and I think that another just exciting piece is who, like, how all of it continues to come together. Like even my uh, wrong turns seemingly in my educational journey are being used. Um, so I'm just, I'm excited and eager to see how God continues to use all of the, all of the steps I've taken to this point um, for God's glory. That's wonderful. What are you 
most nervous about in your future, uh, uh, in the future of your ministry? Mm. The nature of the ministry that I'm entering is pretty high risk for failure. And uh, Selling it. Okay, got it. <laughs> well, anytime you're trying to do something that to a lot of people looks new um, and that honestly the vision for is mostly in my head <laughs> um, and in, you know, that there's no concept yet. Uh, there's a pretty high risk of, of failing on a human level. I mean, as long as I'm being obedient and faithful to God, it's not a failure in that way, but I love that you you said on the human level that I think that that goes back to your learning to trust God thing that that's pretty I I'm working to recognize that in my own movements in ministry at times so I think that's a testament to how in tune you are even in your nervousness Thanks um I guess we're gonna we're gonna shift again for another cleanser. Um, you hold what has been a wonderful, contentious topic um, in our friendship. Um, this idea that unicorns are angels, and so could you explain that for for a moment here? Great, I knew you were gonna do this. <laughs> well. I would not say that it's a, a belief as much as a fun thought process or thought experiment, sort of leading back into in theology and in the church, we have kind of shunned our imaginations. And so isn't it kind of fun to walk down <laughs> this bizarre thought process that um, unicorns are actually angels? Um, it is purely a fun idea that unicorns are real. And the reason that people don't see them anymore is just because we don't imagine that we can. Um, and they're magical. And it feels like it can be paralleled to angels, especially angel appearances um, in scripture are usually sudden and shocking and not everybody gets to see angels clearly and know that they are angels so what if people like unicorns are just one representation or one manifestation that angels would take as a physical appearance for people to see that's fantastic you definitely um I think tie into this this uh, theme that you mentioned earlier that there is a lack of imagination at times. Um, but I want to flip that just a little bit because I feel like sometimes it can be very evident how creative and imaginative some people are in trying to do ministry, especially in this polarized world. Do you think that there is a missing balance and that is why it is hard to have a conversation like it are unicorns 
somehow an aspect of an angelic race um, without becoming too legalistic or without going too far in another direction and just making it all just kind of abstract. That's a hard question. <laughs> I mean, that, that, that's perfectly fair. I, I threw out this question and you answered it better than I <laughs> thought you would. So I figured I needed to address oh. it a different way. Um, okay, we're upping the challenge level. Upping the challenge I, level. It's, I it's can how try. our friendship works. Yeah, I would say, as in all things, there's a balance between there are 100% very serious things about our faith and about God that we need to have a, like a sober, serious time to have a conversation about them. Um, and then are due a healthy, serious respect. But I do think you can be respectful of, of topics and conversations without having to be, as you said, so legalistic all of the time. It's just exhausting, I think, to be part of some conversations where people are nitpicking on every tiny word you say and holding it to use against you in the future out of context or other things feels sort of like the same ways that we weaponize scripture. I'd, and so, yes, I am all for have serious conversations, but maybe don't take ourselves so seriously in them. Maybe that's the, the general balance that needs to be had because um, the best take on all of these things that I've ever heard actually was from a lecture that I attended with um, Tish Harrison Warren. And she said, at the end of the day, really all of us, no matter how hard we have studied and no matter what we have done, can only be about 80% sure that our opinion or our like resulting theology is correct because we are not God. And it, I think it's healthy to hold a, some humility in that way. That's fantastic. Yeah. Um... I think that's also something kind of leaning into that middle ground idea that I, I believe is is missing in a lot of the Western church currently, um, is that we never really ever will know the full answer about who God is, or will we ever fully have the clear picture uh, on any one thing. Um, Right, one of my issues is with postcard Bible verses, as I like to call them, or single Bible verse usage. Um, not that you can't faithfully, you know, expositorily look at a single verse, but all too often, right, like Micah, Micah 6.8 is one that's used all the time. But I think sometimes we, we miss that it is a wider conversation to, to be able to explore but, but out from kind of going backwards from single usage to three to four verses around it to the whole book, you get more of an image, but you can never really get the full image of exactly what it means. Mm -hmm. um, we are at another point where we need to take a, a momentary break. So 
we will continue this conversation in a moment. Hey, this is Nathaniel, the Pondering Theologian. I hope that you are enjoying this interview with Danny Postma, and we have a lot more that we're going to get into, but we're going to have to split the episodes here uh, because this interview ended up being so long. So we're going to end it here for today. Join us on Friday for the next part of this interview when it drops at 6 a.m. Eastern. Know that God loves you, whoever you are, wherever you are, and there's nothing that you can do about that. We'll see you in the next episode. Thank you.